all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Charles Grogan on with us. He is an allergy and immunologist at UMMC, and he is with us to talk about allergies today. We're going to talk about seasonal allergies, we're going to talk about food allergies, maybe even a little asthma. So good morning, Dr. Grogan. Thanks for coming on with us. Hey, Dr. McLeod. Thanks for having me on. So, fun fact, Dr. Grogan and I go way back. Oh, yeah. He was actually one of my med students back Mm -hmm. when I was a resident. So, um, I've known him for a long time, and he is now one of our allergy and immunology doctors at UMMC. So, kind of allergy doctors, kind of self-explanatory, I guess, but the immunology aspect, too, maybe if you could just give everybody a quick background of what y'all do um, in the clinic and how your training was and... um, just a little bit about your everyday as an allergy doctor. Absolutely. So, um, again, Charles Grogan. I'm an assistant professor of medicine and pediatrics and clinical immunology and allergy. Um, so, allergy and immunology is an interesting uh, profession in medicine. Um, you know, you can either get this way either through internal medicine or through pediatrics. Um, and then after you finish your residency, you do a two-year fellowship. Um, we deal typically with more allergy than immunology these days, um, as a lot of people have you know, seasonal allergies or food allergies. But we also deal with immune deficiencies as well, which we typically see more on the pediatric side rather than in our, in our adults. Yeah. I've diagnosed a few adults here and there. But here like, and there. Uh, yeah, like you said, for the most part, it is mostly in our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and one way, I guess, people are thinking um, for immunodeficiency, one thing that we think about is like frequent infections. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, maybe uh, yeah. Usually, ra- some rashes, but mm-hmm. mostly just like frequent. Is if you have a kid who gets infections a lot, or even as an adult, if mm-hmm. you get infections as a lot, um, that may be something to think about. You may want to go see an allergist because a lot of them are trained in that to see if there is any underlying immune deficiency there. Right. Um, but a lot of our kids are diagnosed, I guess, pretty early in life. So. They are. Mm-hmm. They usually see things like you know increased amounts of pneumonias, which is really something that no kid should be getting, these bacterial frequent pneumonias. Right. Um, or if you have very frequent sinus infections, you know, typically that's due to anatomical issues in those patients. And our ear, nose, and throat surgeons are really good at helping that out. Um, However, if, you know, after they've gotten tubes and they still keep having, you know, frequent ear infections, frequent sinus infections, you might start wanting to think about immune deficiency. Yeah. 
So that's kind of a little bit of a background. Can you tell us a little bit about what y'all treat every day in sure. clinic? And um, do y'all do shots and infusions and all the things oh, like absolutely. that? Absolutely. We do a bunch of shots and infusions. <laughs> um, so the thing we see the most com- uh, commonly is allergic rhinitis or, you know, more colloquially known as hay fever. Um, you know, it's itchy, runny nose, uh, itchy eyes, sneezing, coughing, post-nasal drip, where you have that drip, drip, drip down the back of your throat that causes the cough. Uh, we also see a bunch of asthma and eczema as well as food allergies. Um, more frequently over the last few years, we've seen a lot more of uh, chronic hives, mm-hmm. you know, itchy red whelps that pop up all over your skin, um, and then things like facial swelling, then of course, like we mentioned earlier, immune deficiencies. Yeah. So I feel like we should probably start with allergies sure. <laughs> because I feel like that is probably one of the the biggest things that we see around here. Um, oh, absolutely. And this time of year, it tends to be slowing down just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but it'll rear back up in the fall, and oh, then yeah. uh, we'll get some in the spring. But in the summertime, I feel like it does usually calm down a little bit. But um, tell us a little bit about why some people have allergies because – not everybody gets them. And then some people get them and it's just kind of mild, but some people's are terrible allergies and have to take multiple medicines um, or even shots, which we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit about allergy shots too. Um, but why do some people get them and some people don't? And why are some people so severe and others are just mild? Sure. So, you know, we all have antibodies. You know, these are the little proteins in our body that we normally think of as being really helpful for treating, you know, or for fighting off infections. Um, however, these antibodies or immunoglobulins, um, some of them are geared towards allergy state. Um, and for some people, for a variety of different reasons, whether it's genetic or environmental, they are just a little bit more allergic than others. Um, and in fact, that's actually a pretty common condition. More than 50 million Americans have allergies. Um, about almost 25% of people will have allergic rhinitis at some point in their life. Um, and when you have that, you become hypersensitive to things that are you normally breathe in, in the air every day, whether that's pollen, mold, dust mites, or even things that we don't like to think about like cockroaches or mouse urine, something like that. Um, we develop this inflammation in our nose. It causes swelling, uh, which can make it difficult to breathe. Um, and it causes increased mucus production, which can either drip down the front of our nose or it could drip down the back of our throat and cause cough. Yeah. And so what are we typically allergic to this time of year um, in the spring and early summer? So usually when I think of spring and early summer, I start thinking about grass season. Um, This is when things like Bahia, Bermuda, Johnson grass, things that are really calm down here in the south, that's when they're in full bloom and when pollens are going crazy. Um, You know, tree and grass season also kind of flank uh, the summer seasons. Um, But, uh, yeah, I usually think about grass at this point. And then in the fall, it's the ragweed? Yeah, it can be. Uh-huh. Um, ragweed's always, it's always a problem, really, in, yeah. in, the, in the south when uh, the temperature is always so high. Um, and then you also run into a few different types of trees, like oak and cedar, that can really uh, start pollinating at that time as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can have allergies in the spring, but not really have any allergies in the fall, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But I feel like most people at some point have a flare-up of, of sure. both of them. <laughs> sure. And what we usually hear in our clinic is, I have allergies all year round, but they really flare up during the, the pollen time. Yeah. Um, and then the, the term we use for year-round allergies is called perennial, perennial allergies. Um, and these are things that you're going to run into at all points of the year, no matter what 
things like dust mites, molds, mm-hmm. um, or like what we mentioned earlier, cockroaches, or our furry animals like cat or dog. Yeah. Uh, well, it looks like we've got a caller, so we'll we'll go to them real quick before we get into the nitty-gritty of the different types of allergies. Sure. Um, we've got Wallace in Mobile. Good morning, Wallace. Hi. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I have a question. I have seasonal allergies, and I use uh, Zyrtec on daily basis. Sure. If, if I forget Zyrtec, uh, to take Zyrtec for a day or two, I get severe itching on my um, hands and my feet, um, and it's just really, really bad. And I did a little bit of look up on Google, and I found a lot of people are having the Zyrtec withdrawal. Like if you forgot to take for a day or two, it just gets so itchy. Your body is all itching. I'm wondering um, if you have any take on that or how to uh, mitigate this. Thank you. Sure. So, you know, um, Zyrtec is really helpful, or, or Cetirizine, which is the generic name for it. Um, a lot of people have something that we call chronic spontaneous urticaria, and that's a, just a fancy doctor way of saying that they have these chronic hives or chronic itching. Um, and antihistamines are a good way of controlling um, those symptoms because histamine is really the itching and the swelling molecule in our body. Um, and people that take this daily Zyrtec for their allergies – um, sometimes they can be masking those symptoms, and when they stop the Zyrtec, they'll pop back up after you stop it. Um, and so it may not necessarily be a withdrawal symptom as it is you're treating a problem you may not even know that you had. Does that? Thank ha- you. Yeah, thanks for calling. So does that um, chronic hives, urticaria thing that you were mentioning, does it kind of go hand in hand with allergies? Like, is it common in people that have allergies too? Or is this usually two separate entities? It's usually two separate entities. That said, in allergy, we see a lot of patients with allergic disease. They all it's, they all seem to cluster together. Yeah. The word we use for it is really is atopy, the state of being allergic. Um, and so, you know, if you have allergic nose symptoms, you're more likely to have food allergies. You're more likely to have eczema or asthma. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your call, Wallace. We appreciate that. I'm sure some people out there may also have those problems, too. So we appreciate you calling. So we talked a little bit about that some people are a little more sensitive to it than others um, because the way our body just kind of responds to these foreign um these foreign particles um, and creates the right. antibodies. Mm-hmm. And some people are just seem to be more sensitive to it, more prone to it. It does tend to run in families. Um, I saw some statistic that uh, if one parent has allergies, the child is 25%. But if both parents have it, it's up to like almost 70% sure. mm-hmm. chance that your kid's going to have allergies too. Um, so we definitely know there is some genetic component to it as well because it does tend to run in families. So... Um, So we talked some about the environmental stuff like uh, pollen and all the grasses and trees and then as well as the ragweed. But there's also some, like you mentioned, like dust mites and Mm -hmm. pets and things like that. And that some people may just have chronic allergies or that what you call perennial where it's like year round allergies. Um, And so there are some things that we can do just kind of like lifestyle changes. We love to use that term as doctors, (laughs) don't we? (laughs) Lifestyle changes um, that you can do and make around your house that could help you with some of those types of allergies. So can you tell us a little bit about that before we kind of get into some of the medications and things? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the allergies that we see the most is dust mite allergy. Um, These are microscopic little critters that are in everybody's homes. They're in every room where you encounter these um, everywhere we go. Uh, They really, really like moisture. 
Uh, they they sh- thrive when the moisture in the air is above 55%. Um, and what they really like to be is they like to be on bedding. Uh, either that's on uh, in your pillowcases, on your in your mattress, and they actually feed on uh, discarded human skin, uh, which everybody always likes to think about. I know it's so gross yeah. to think about. <laughs> and the, you know the dust mites, they'll actually come out at night when you're laying down on your pillows, and they'll they'll, they'll come and feast on your skin. Um, but there's easy ways uh, to help at least avoid these dust mites to an extent. Um, you know, you can get allergen casings for your pillows, for your mattress. These are uh, zip-up covers um, that go over, and it keeps the dust mites from coming out at night. Um, you know, we also recommend doing uh, or, or at least washing your sheets uh, and mattress covers, you know, probably at least once a week. More, uh, you know, it would be better to do it twice a week. And it needs to be on hot water. So the, the temperature you need to hit is about 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And, you know, that's higher than 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which, which some uh, washers are uh, kind of capped out at. Um, and the reason why is because you have the chance of possibly having an accidental burn for a child um, at that temperature. Um, but once you get to that 130 degrees, it'll kill the dust mites. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that, can you find, like, these allergy casings and stuff, like, anywhere? Or oh, is absolutely. there specific places you have to find them? Mm-hmm. I usually tell my patients they can get them at Walgreens or Walmart, somewhere like that. Um, they're relatively cheap. You can get a set for your bed for as low as probably $10. Oh, yeah. um, they're, uh, you know, they, your sheets go over the casings, um, so it doesn't make your bed any less uh, comfortable. They're a little crinkly on so that first, the first few nights you yeah. sleep in them, but uh, it, it gets better as time goes on. What about filters, like HIPAA filters and air purifiers sure. and all of that kind of stuff? Is there any utility in using that when it comes to dust mites or anything in the house? You know, air filters have gotten very popular, especially after COVID. Everybody mm-hmm. seems like everybody was buying an air filter left and right. Um, you know, that said... The the benefits that we see with, you know, kind of air filter towers that you put in the room is probably low. Mm. Um, a lot of the studies have not been very conclusive that these air filters really help prevent dust mite allergies. Um, you know, if you install a HEPA filter, like in the central air conditioning part of your house, then maybe, yeah, that can help. But that's a pretty expensive solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Any other tips? Like, what about? Um, I remember we always were told too. It can live in carpet. Oh right. Um, mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. have like carpet, is it? I mean, if you truly have such bad allergies, is would it be worthwhile to pull up carpet, or there, is there anything to that? There definitely can be some improvement if you pull up the carpet. You know, like like I said, the uh, the dust mites love to live in these kind of soft, moist places, and so replacing carpet with vinyl or hardwood can lead to some improvement. Um, a good thing about hardwood and, and, you know, other hard surfaces is that they're easy to clean with a, a damp cloth, which can really pick up all the dust mites that are uh, on the floor. Um, another thing that you probably need to do is avoid using a humidifier. I don't know why you'd be using a humidifier in Mississippi. It's already, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's already humid enough here. But humidifiers can definitely make dust mite uh, proliferation much worse in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as pediatricians, we do recommend that a lot of times for kids just to help with some sure. of that nasal congestion sure. and mm-hmm. chest congestion at night. So um, there may be like, I guess, for short term, sometimes people sure. use those. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's definitely something to think about because I definitely recommend humidifiers sometimes <laughs> to parents when their kids are sick for the, um, for the chest congestion and stuff. I'm over here recommending dehumidifiers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True, true, true. So what are some other things people can do? So, um, 
you know, I, some just basic stuff that I think about lifestyle is like if you've been outside at the ball field sure. mm-hmm. or things like that to make sure you change your clothes when you come inside because right. mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to bring that stuff inside, mm-hmm. washing your hands, taking your shoes off because shoes carry, I guess. Yep. Like you get some of that stuff on your shoes because um, I just feel like now is the time so many people are outside and doing things. So all those grasses and things that you talked about um, – so that is one thing I usually recommend is changing sure. clothes if you've been somewhere or um, making sure you take your shoes off, wash your hands. Anything else you could think of? Yeah, th- those are the big ones. Clothes, hair, and shoes are the big three trappers for allergens. Um, you know, the, the the tough one is your hair. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people aren't going to be washing their hair in the morning and also at night. Um, but, you know, if you, if you trap all this pollen and mold and all these other – allergens in your hair and then you go lay down on your pillow at night it can bring all that with you then you roll over on it later that night and you just breathe it in all night mm-hmm. it can cause a lot of problems is you know in the when you wake up in the morning yeah usually we think of that more as a dust mite allergy but it can be caused by that um, but you nailed it you know we always recommend when you come in especially in high pollen seasons go ahead and take your clothes off while you're at the front door change into something else they definitely take your shoes off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah which I'm so guilty about wearing my shoes in the house. I tell myself oh, all the time, well. especially <laughs> when I'm in service in the hospital and rounding and seeing patients like, oh, so gross. Take your shoes off. And I just, I just forget. I'm just so used to it. But that is one habit I would love to fix of myself <laughs> is to take my shoes off when I come in. Okay, so we try all of these lifestyle things, and we're still having problems. Sure. So there are some medications that we can use. Um, and a lot of them you can just get over the counter. You don't actually have to have right. a prescription mm-hmm. for them. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, I guess the antihistamines are the big ones that sure. come to mind and maybe some of the nasal steroids too, because sure. a lot of these are over the counter now too. Right. Mm-hmm. So nasal steroids and antihistamines are really the, the mainstay of treatment right now for allergic nose symptoms. Um, I'll start with nasal steroids because that's really what we recommend first for most of our patients. Um, Which people hate people when I hate tell nasal them steroids. that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes using a nasal spray. You know, that said, uh, nasal sprays are topical. You know, the, you get them right onto the mucosa that needs the uh, the treatment. Um, and topical uh, treatments usually are better than systemic treatments. And in fact, we consider, uh, you know, nasal steroids or nasal antihistamines superior to the, the oral medications. Um, so the medicine we usually recommend is fluticasone, and that's the generic name for Flonase. Um, very safe medication. Tons of studies done on this medicine. Um it can help reduce the inflammation in your nose, which makes you breathe easier. Uh, the only problem with these nasal steroids is they can take about a week or two to take mm-hmm. effect. Um, and you also need to take them every single day to get the best effect. Uh, so people who use it as needed or, uh, only when the medicine, or only when the symptoms have started, they might find themselves not really satisfied with using that medicine. Yeah. So a couple of things that I have people ask me about with uh, nasal steroids is they don't want their kid on a steroid, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and they themselves, even as adults, don't want to be on a steroid. Mm -hmm. They hear steroid and they're like, oh, I don't want to take a steroid every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, it's topical. Mm -hmm. And so it's very local. It's very minimal systemic absorption. So when we say that, that means that it's really only affecting where it's touching. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily getting into your bloodstream very 
much. You know, and even if it was, you know, you have to look at the the dosing of these medicines. You know, there it's in the micrograms. It's a fraction of a fraction of the kind of steroid you would get if you were taking orally. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's they're considered very safe. You don't get that kind of you know I'm on a steroid effect. Right. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't really affect like if you're a diabetic, it shouldn't affect your sugars. It won't cause weight gain. Yeah, it's not going to cause weight gain. <laughs> right. Correct. Um, and our kids, one thing people think about is affecting their height. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've had several studies that show if there is any effect, it's like half an inch long term. I mean, very it's minimal. Very, very minimal. Very, very minimal. Um, so it's there's a very safe, um, mm-hmm. and you're not really going to have the steroid effects necessarily that a lot of Correct. people think of uh-huh. when they hear the term steroid. Right. Uh, the nasal antihistamines. I didn't mention that one when we were talking when I was kind of debriefing, but those I feel like are a pretty because uh, you can get them over the counter now, yeah. mm-hmm. like the Astapro. I think just last year was the first year they went over the counter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those actually work really well. Oh, they're great. And um, my mother-in-law actually moved down here from Indiana, and she has struggled a lot with <laughs> allergies transitioning uh-huh. to Mississippi. And she was telling me the other day, she was like, have you heard of this Astapro? It is the best <laughs> thing I've ever found for my allergies. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about those, sure. too. So azelastine, the generic name uh, for Astapro or Astalin. Is, is one of the more popular brands of uh, nasal antihistamines. Um, they are very effective. They last a little bit less than uh, than uh, Flonase does. They only last about 12 hours, so you have to do twice a day dosing rather than once a day. Uh, the The good thing about them is that they work really fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have improvement within an hour of using it. Um, the one thing I do have to warn my patients about with Astolin is it does not taste good. Mm-hmm. Even with proper use of nasal sprays, and remember, when you use a nasal spray, you should be pointing straight up your nose and then angling a little bit out towards your ears. Um, even with proper use of the nasal spray, a little bit's going to drip down the back of your throat and you're going to taste it. And the Astolin or the Azelastine nasal spray can... It can be pretty tough to, to deal with. Well, Flonase to me doesn't taste good, but <laughs> <laughs> I can always taste the Flonase too when I do it, but right. I've never tried the mm-hmm. Astapro. Um, can you use Flonase and Astapro together? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely can. So if you were to use them together, can you kind of give like instructions? Like, is there one you should use first or does it really matter? Is there timing? Like, you know, sure. any um, timing? You know, it's it, it really doesn't matter which one you use first or at what part of the day. You know, again, the the azelastine, the the nasal antihistamine needs to be twice a day. So once in the morning and once at night before you go to bed. You can do the Flonase and the Astolin together at night. Um, the the big thing is you just want to make sure you're not spraying in rapid succession before you have time for the the medicine to get where it needs to go. You know, I'd give yourself at least a few minutes between each spray. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then while we're sticking to the nose before we take our break, uh, a lot of people like to do flushes and neti pots Mm -hmm. and all the things. Mm -hmm. Can you do – well, number one, is there any utility in that? And number two, can you use that in conjunction with some of these nasal sprays? Or is the saline and flushing, is that going to interfere with the medicines going to your nose? Nasal rinses are great. You know, the problem sometimes with using some of these nasal sprays is that – uh, if you're really, really congested, it can feel like the medicine's not getting where it needs to go. Uh, it's almost the, – the, the example I use for my patients is it's like taking a shower with a raincoat on. You know, the medicine just can't get to the nasal mucosa. Um, and so by rinsing out with a nasal rinse, um, we typically give out Neil Med bottles when we do this. Um, you know, these are safe. They're, uh, 
they're not contaminated with any kind of uh, bacteria or, or fungus or anything like that. Um, you can rinse out your nose and then use your nasal sprays. But the timing's important. You want to do the rinse before you do the nasal sprays. Otherwise, you're going to rinse the medicine out. True. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any, like, do you have to wait a certain time period or just kind of like? Just, just a few minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. do your rinses. And always make sure you use sterile water for your rinses. Always use sterile water, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of silly, but like, I mean, you know, your first instinct is just get some water out of the faucet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really want to make sure that you're not doing that. Um, sure. mm-hmm. And make sure that you're using sterile water to do your rinses to flush mm-hmm. it out. And then um, then you can use your medicine. So. And many of the uh, nasal rinse bottles that you can get over the counter, you know, Walmart or Walgreens, something like that, they usually have little packets that you can mix in with the water to make sure that it's sterile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We are talking today with Dr. Grogan, who is an allergy immunology doctor at UMMC. And we have talked a lot about just kind of environmental allergies and um, how we can tr- we started on how we can treat it. We're going to get a little bit more into some treatments that you can do. Um, so we talked a lot about the nasal stuff that you can do. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about um, the nasal steroids like Flonase, um, Nasacort. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, is there any other ones over the counter that you can get? Ronacort. There's Ronacort, a, yeah, there's a few. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the nasal antihistamines, which are newer, like Astapro. Um, and then we talked some about nasal flushes and saline flushes and how that can really be helpful as well. And now we can talk some about maybe some oral medicines. Sure. Um, like the antihistamines that you can get over the counter. Can you tell us about which ones are your favorites? Oh, <laughs> so I like, I like the newer uh, antihistamines. Um, things that don't cause quite as much sedation. Those mm-hmm. are things like um, fexofenadine, uh, which the uh, you know, the brand name of that is Allegra, um, or cetirizine like Zyrtec. You know, Z- Zyrtec can still be a little sedating at higher doses, uh, but Allegra doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, so it doesn't make you sleepy. So that's one of our more favorite antihistamines because we can increase the dose, especially for some patients who have really itchy disease, mm-hmm. um, without making them too sleepy. Yeah. And they, all of those you can get over the counter. I have, mm-hmm. Sometimes Allegra I have been able to get covered, actually, too, if I mm-hmm. prescribe it. There are some insurances that will pay for it. <laughs> it's, it's a rarity for sure. And yeah, it's becoming more rare. Yeah. I guess for, <laughs> for a little bit a few years ago you could, but mm-hmm. it's one. Um, but I always tell people to stock up. If you're going to be one of those people that has to take it every day mm-hmm. to go to like a Sam's or a Costco Absolutely. and try to stock up on it there because in the long run it will end up saving you some money. That's what I tell all my patients. And um, Flonase is there, too. It is there as well. Um, you know, if, if cost is an issue, then Zyrtec or, or Cetirizine is really one of the better medications. It's it's minimally sedating. Um, and I think if you go on Amazon, you can get a 300 count for only about 10 to $12. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Pretty cheap. Yep. Hmm, I'll have to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so is there any concern about staying on these long-term, too? Because I have a lot of people that worry about this. Um you know, they don't want to take it every day. Sure. And I understand that. I mean, nobody wants to take a medicine every sure. day. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes if your allergies are terrible, especially in our younger kids, too, as they're trying to work through some of this stuff, how is it okay to take them every day? Or is this a medicine that you really don't need to take every day and kind of 
um, should you take holidays, I guess? A lot of people (laughs) tell me that they feel like they have to take it for a little bit and take a break and Mm -hmm. restart it. Mm -hmm. Is there any utility in that, or is it okay for them to take? Sorry, I know that's a lot of questions. Oh, no, no, no. You know, it's these are generally considered very safe medications um, to take every day, Uh, especially the ones that are minimally sedating, um, like Zyrtec or Allegra. Uh, you know, these these have had a bunch of studies, and from what we know, they don't lose uh, efficacy over time. So you don't, your body doesn't get used to them, and that's usually what our what our patients ask us: like, am, am, am I going to, you know, is my body going to get used to this medicine if I keep using it every day? Usually, people will say that uh, they feel like, oh, you know, my medicine um, like just doesn't work sometimes. And, you know, we just normally have this kind of waxing and waning symptoms, in, and our control can get, you know, better and worse while we're still on these medicines. And that's what can drive that, that feeling of, you know, I feel like my medicine is not working anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not tr- truly our body becoming, you know, It's just that our symptoms are getting worse. Okay. Well, we've got some callers. So let's go first to Lou, who's in South Haven. Good morning, Lou. What's going on? Good morning. Uh, I just got off the tennis court, and I noticed within the past year, when I play tennis or ride my bike, I get a feeling like it's indigestion. And I read that it could be caused by allergies. I don't know what's causing it, but it also shortens my breath. Mm-hmm. I need some help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're getting a little short, it's short a of burning, breath. It's a, it's a burn. It's a burning, like a burning sensation right in the middle of my chest. So first, I would tell you, Lou, especially with it happening with activity, you may want to go make sure that it's not your heart. Because the, you know, this is me coming from an internal medicine standpoint. You know, we're always thinking, uh, making sure we're not missing anything with the heart. Um, So I would make sure, because if it's happening with activity, it's not always typically just the pressure in your chest like elephant standing on my chest. It can be anything, and it can be burning. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially since you said it happens when you ride your bike and play tennis, I would definitely make sure, number one, that it's not anything going on with your heart. Um, but two, I, I, I mean, I can think of like a couple of things. I don't know what you have in your head. You know, burning is is an, kind of an atypical symptom for any kind of allergy or even really asthma. Usually we think of more of kind of like a wheezy or mm-hmm. a shortness of breath, which I know you said you did have a little bit of shortness of breath after you got off the court. But, I, you know, I want to reinforce what Dr. McLeod said. Um, if, you, if it's purely just shortness of breath with exertion um, and you also have some other symptoms around, you know, your, your heart area like indigestion, definitely you want to make sure that this is not a cardiac issue. Yeah. I have seen um, some people, too, with activity get some like laryngospasms, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which would be a little more ENT, but I guess it can also be associated with um, allergies and reflux, too. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple of people that get that with activity. And one lady in particular, it's tennis as well. Oh, Really? Uh-huh. Um, and it's something about the the heat and being outside. Hers always tends to be worse than the heat. Um, and it flares up. It's a kind of a combination, I think, allergies and reflux, both really with her. Um, but she ends up getting like some laryngeospasm. So what, I'm, what I mean with that is like her vocal cords and then her airways actually spasm a little bit. Um, and it's something to do with being outside in the summertime and the heat tends mm-hmm. to do that. So that may be... I, First and foremost, I would make sure it's not your heart. And then number two, I would consider maybe going to see an ENT um, because I have definitely seen that happen before, Lou. And the thing that can also come with that is, 
maybe a little bit of a change in your voice or if you begin coughing when that occurs, that usually uh, is symptomatic of some kind of vocal cord dysfunction. Yeah. Uh, what I have with that is belching also. So, I would get some big belches with it. Yeah, and that you it's, may you may have more reflux yeah, type stuff, mm-hmm. and that activity is flaring it yeah, up. Yeah. But you know, we typically think of reflux in the esophagus, but the esophagus and the larynx, which are the airway breathing, are back to back. Um, and so, a lot of times when you have reflux coming up from your stomach and into your esophagus, you get a little bit of black backflow into your airways as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get that burn in with the reflux in your esophagus, but you also get some reflux into your larynx and it can cause some irritation into some spasms into your vocal cord so Mm -hmm. um, an ENT would be the one to be able to look and take a little quick little scope and see thank you very much yeah thanks for your call Uh, we'll go next to John who's in Jackson good morning John yes I have a question regarding a air purifier sure My, my wife has is an autoimmune patient, and okay. we're just curious if that would help purify the air, or is it worth the investment? Sure. So, have you bought it already? No, we have not. Okay. You know, air purifiers are interesting. You know, they can they can make the air feel a little bit more breathable, make it feel a little bit more clean. And I never want to talk somebody out of buying an air purifier if they feel like it's going to help them. Um, the jury is still kind of out on whether or not it helps with allergies. And I haven't heard many claims that it helps with, you know, autoimmune diseases like, um, you know, lupus or something like that. Um, so I definitely wouldn't buy it for an autoimmune disease. But if you feel like the air purifier helps you um, and it's not going to break the bank, then I don't see any reason why you couldn't, why you wouldn't buy it. Well, our main concern is to, for as a, preventative for people who come over that might possibly have COVID, even though I realize COVID is gone. Uh, would it help prevent that? Well, you know, COVID's it's, it's not gone quite yet, <laughs> unfortunately. The, the emergency is over, but people are still being infected. Um, you know, the air purifiers... Sorry. I, I was going to say, I don't know that the purifier would help as much as, like, Dr. Grogan had mentioned earlier, having more of a filter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the purifier may help some, but I think the biggest thing, if you're thinking to prevent her from catching something from someone else, you're right. going to need a filter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which can be uh, can be a lot more expensive that, that than a purifier. That could be very expensive. Okay. When you say a filter, uh, the one I'm looking at is, like, Six seven hundred dollars. Would that have a, the, the the filter that you all are speaking of? Is it a is it a standalone filter that would go in a room? Yes, it is. Sure. Um, you know, again, it it can it could possibly help. Um, but most of the filters that really do help prevent you know the spread of infectious disease are usually placed in the central air conditioning system. Okay. Then. Yes, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it would hurt. But I don't know that it's going to help as much as you want. Right. It'll help some, but it may not help as much as you want. Okay. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for your call. So we'll go next to Chad, who is in Edwards. Good morning, Chad. What's going on? Uh, Yes, I also asked a question about sleep aids. I'm looking for something to help with sleep, something strong. Yeah. Well, what have you tried, I guess, would be my first question. I, I I have tried really all, kind of everything on the market. I've tried 
And the only thing that I've ever really found that worked was the Ambien, but I can't, I, I take pain pills, so I can't get Ambien anymore. Yeah. Um, have you ever tried um, Trazodone? I think I have. I think I've tried that one. Trazodone is one that I like to use a lot. Um, it is an old antidepressant medication that we really don't use for depression much anymore because it can make you so sleepy. Um, so we have a lot of better options out there. So typically we use trazodone for sleep. The nice thing about trazodone and why I like to use it because it's safe to use in elderly patients. It's safe to use in kids. It's safe to use in people who have lung and heart disease because it's not as like um, it doesn't suppress your respiratory drive like some of the other medications, such as like Ambien and the benzodiazepines and things like that. Um, so trazodone to me is always the favorite. I love trazodone. Um, there's a couple of other ones that you could think about that are antidepressant medicines as well. Remeron is one that we use a lot that's very oh, safe. Um, I've tried that before, and that really knocked me down hard. That, that was like scary powerful. Yeah. Remeron is one um, that a lot of people use. Uh, there is some newer medicines coming out that I honestly don't know a ton about right now, and I would have to do some research and I can look them up. Um, but a lot of people have seen that there have been some improvements with those. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. I would have to try to look it up. I can, if you give us your email, Chad, I can try to look those up for you and email you those. The well, problem with I'm the... Not- the problem with these newer medicines are insurance doesn't cover them, and so they're a little bit more yeah. expensive. And then the last one I would say is um, like Remelteon, which is like a uh, melatonin agonist. So it's kind of like a prescription melatonin, but it's definitely stronger than just regular old melatonin that you can get over the counter. Um, so it sounds like with some of those other medications that you were taking, the controlled substances, um, these may be some better options for you. But let me what's give the name of that, what's oh, the name of that melatonin one. Um, Remelteon. Remelteon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. If but it, yeah, give me your email, and then we can try to give you. Um, I can try to figure out what those prescription, those newer ones are, because I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head right now. Yes, ma'am. All yes, right. Ma'am. Thanks, Chad. Right, thank you. And, you know, Dr. McLeod, one thing I wanted to say, um, for anybody out there who uses Benadryl or yeah. diphenhydramine for sleep, you know, it's a, real, it's a real sedating medication. Some people call it the time travel antihistamine. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually advise people, you know, not to use it for that purpose. Um, you know, it's, it's what we call an anticholinergic as well. Um, and we're starting to learn now that it can be associated with cognitive decline, especially as we get mm-hmm. older. And it's now being pretty closely linked with dementia as well. So we usually avoid using that medication for sleeping. And it's in a lot of the over-the-counter sleep medicines. So mm-hmm. you don't have to just go buy like Benadryl. It's in like Tylenol PM, yep. Ambien mm-hmm. PM, Aleve PM, right. all of those. That's the PM part. Yes. <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> um, we'll go next to Bill in South Haven. What's up, Bill? Uh, I hope that's one. I'm over here in Olive Branch, actually. Oh, that's sorry. Okay. <laughs> no we get, we're friends with them. Yeah. Uh, Just rivals anyway, in football. I, I got a little bit of information for you guys. Uh, I am an asthmatic. I am also got COPD out the wazoo. And um, I have found that not one individual thing helps. Yeah. But uh, what the, each thing on its own does a number. So what I'm going to suggest is this. Let me pull over so I don't get caught by the police. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, um, I'm going to suggest a couple of things here. Number one, uh, there's a filter out on the market. I'm going to say the name real quick. They'll treat. And they have uh, numbers on them that go from the thousands up to uh, like 2,800. Good luck on finding the 2,800 uh, series. But the higher the number, the better uh, the filtration on it. Uh, the number is listed up on the top right of the uh, package. You can get these at the big box stores uh, that carry air filters. The other thing, and I wish I was close to home, but I'm not, uh, is a sterilizing uh, ultraviolet ray uh, or light. It looks like a bug zapper, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, what it does do, though, it zaps the bugs that we want to call viruses and stuff like that. Uh, that, with the... Uh, filters, uh, the filters, by the way, also get all the viruses uh, that are out there, uh, including COVID, and um, uh, especially when you get up to, to like the 23, uh, 25, and 2800 series filters. Uh, but the first time that you put that filter in your uh, air conditioning system, though, you're going to have to change it pretty quick because it's going to pull everything and catch it in that filter. And if there's any dust in that house, it's going to grab it. Right. So my recommendation, this is just on my personal experience, use the combination of the two. I wish I had the name of the machine, uh, the light, but it, it uses ultraviolet C, I believe. I'll be glad to uh, give you my number off air so that y'all can sure. contact me. Um, but but it's just, it works wonders. And I used to not be able to sleep good at night. I sleep like a baby now. Yeah. Dr. McLeod, don't we use some ultraviolet lights in the hospital to help clean the rooms? Mm-hmm. You know, it's always a little, you know, uh, I won't call it dangerous, but you definitely don't want to have your skin exposed to these lights yeah. as they can be very damaging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can find, I've seen definitely some of those things that you can put like your cell phone in, in little Uh cases that have the UV lights and things like that. So there definitely is some utility in that. So thanks for calling, Bill. We appreciate it. They say don't don't use those in a room with pets or plants or people. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely don't want to do that. (laughs) So be very careful if you're going to use it, but they are helpful. Well, thanks, Bill. We appreciate it. I'll I'll hang on or whatever you want me to do to Give you my number off off uh, air. All right, that sounds good. Thank you. Um, we got just like a minute left. So, anything in particular that sure um, you want to let me let me tell you a little bit about allergy shots, which is kind of one of the fun things we get to do in our clinic. Um, so, you know, after we do allergy testing, that can either be by you know skin prick testing or by blood. Um, we will find some things that you're allergic to, and if your symptoms are controlled with you know the medicines that we've talked about earlier in the show. We can offer you allergy shots. And as long as you're a good person for it, um, usually you do weekly shots for a few months, and then eventually you go up to monthly shots. Um, Those shots go on for about three to five years. And the great thing about allergy shots is it's not like Zyrtec or Flonase, which, you know, can treat your symptoms while you're taking it. It 
hopefully can potentially be curative of your allergies. Um, curative either meaning they never come back or your symptoms are significantly improved from before they were uh, before you were treated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so basically with the allergy shots, you have to go every week. Oh, it's for, for several months. Uh-huh. And then you get to space it out though mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. Usually it takes about six months. Six months. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then how long before you get... You know, the- sure. We start seeing improvement really at like the six to twelve month period. Okay. Usually more closer to twelve months. Gotcha. And then they go for about three or four years after that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like this has been very helpful. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from UMMC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.